Welcome to Mormon Book Reviews, where an evangelical encounters the restoration. I'm your host, Stephen Peinecker, but I also have a co-host. Introduce yourself. Hello, everyone. My name is Tony Fieldson, and I'm from the YouTube channel, The Restoration Table. N nice to see everybody. Yeah, this is awesome. So this is, we're kind of doing a little experiment here. So we're going to kind of do like a co-production of our two channels. And this is something that Tony and I have been talking about doing for quite some time, almost early on in this when my channel first started. And uh, Tony, I just want to say it's a real honor to be able to do this with you. It's great to finally do this with you as well, Steve. I think we connected back in March and it's been fun to see your channel take off. And it's just been neat to be able to collaborate in, in this bridge building space. So I'm looking forward to chatting with you today as well. So this is going to be like a dual conversation where I'm going to talk to Tony and then he's and ask him some questions about his background. And then he's going to do the same to me. And we're just doing an experiment. We'll see where this goes. And, uh, you know, let's have some fun today, folks. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about Tony. So uh, as I first started my channel, I started interacting with various people within the LDS community. I initially had my foray into all this was mostly through the community of Christ and some of the independent branches. And then I started engaging LDS from Utah. And I was, uh, I watch a lot of, I mean, I watch a lot of stuff. I read a lot of books and I came across Tony's interview on Saints Unscripted. And uh, I really enjoyed uh, the spirit of Tony. Um, and I really thought like, wow, this is really interesting because his background is, is that he was raised evangelical and converted to uh, the LDS faith. And uh, I just really liked the person that I saw on Saints Unscripted. So I, I just contacted you via, I think just publicly on YouTube. And then not long later, we were talking to each other. And so with that in mind, I just thought from the very beginning, it's like, I like the spirit of this dude. And I want I want I have a feeling that I'm going to do something with them, and this is kind of part of what our collaboration is this. And one of the things that really struck me was you were talking on the show about how you're a school teacher, and one of the things you try to do is that if you see a lonely a kid sitting by himself in the cafeteria or in the playground, and you say, you know, I started like a little club where we reach out to the to the outcasts or those who are very lonely or not really popular. And we try to make embrace, the, embrace them, make them feel welcome. And I was a lot like that as a child, where I tried to reach out to ch lonely children. So I was like, "This is okay. We're we're doing we're operating on the same level here." So that's what really that that story is what really got me. Like I got to get this guy on my show. So that was awesome. uh, that was really to me really important. But I, I just wanted to basically ask you because see, this is where we both swim in much of the same waters. Um, mm -hmm. You used to swim in the evangelical pool. And uh, I just want you to tell me a little bit about your background, about being in, raised in an evangelical household. Yeah, sounds good. Well, so I actually wasn't raised uh, technically uh, evangelical at the beginning. I was baptized Catholic. So my mother is Cuban and she baptized my younger brother and I in the Catholic tradition. We didn't really grow up and continue with it though. Um, we just would kind of go a couple times a year, but we never got confirmed or anything like that. Um, but right around the age when I, uh, started going to high school, that's when we started going to an evangelical church. So I actually had a question for you on that. What, what's the difference between non-denominational and, and evangelical? Is there a difference? Because when we tell, when we tell people, my parents, you know, they still go to that church. They, they say that they go to a non-denominational, you know, so it's not Baptist, it's not Lutheran, there's no denomination, but it's also evangelical. So what are the differences and similarities? If you don't mind me just getting that one out of the way, do you know? Sure, no problem. You know, uh, <laughs> It, I guess non-denominational churches tend to be evangelical and they tend to be more parachurch where they're opening to all people who are like conservative Protestants. 
yeah, conservatives, yeah. Protestants kind of by definition are evangelical. So just about every, um, like you have the mainline Lutheran Church, the ELCA, Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, which is not evangelical. And then you yeah. have the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, which you could identify in the evangelical camp. So here okay. you have a denomination uh, that, or, or here in the South, you have a lot of United Methodist churches that would definitely be considered evangelical, but the denomination itself is definitely more mainline. So you have this overlap between evangelical members of particular denominations, but then you okay. also have the same movement. A lot of these people kind of transitioned out of those denominations and just started evangelical non-doms. And that's okay. kind of, so, so evangelical is a very overlapping thing. Okay, so can you, is it safe to say that evangelical is kind of synonymous with the word like uh, religious conservatism, like conservative Protestant Christianity kind of thing? <laughs> I would typically say that would be the general aspect to it. There are progressive evangelicals, the the soldier oh, okay. the Sojourners magazine, uh, that group. There are there are progressives have been around since the okay. 70s. Well, I don't want to go off with too much of a side tangent, but I was curious. And just like anything in life, it's it's messy and complicated. Sounds like the answer. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh man, it's a big mess over here, dude. I'd be like, but you no, seem just... like you have a pretty good grasp on on those things, though. So, <laughs> but yeah. So, um, my mom was kind of seeking out God. She she was just had this hole that she felt like she had in her heart, and she was looking for religion. So, um, we found this church over by the beach. I, I live in Southern California, Orange County. So, there was this new pastor who came from I think like Michigan or something. And it was called Seacoast. And it was a church. It, it met in the auditorium of a junior high, middle school. And it was over by the beach. And um, they had a rock band and everything, which is very different from what I had, you know, encountered growing up, going to a Catholic church a couple times a year. And so anyway, uh, we started linking up with that church. My mom especially really took on to it. Um, and uh, it was great. They eventually moved over and, and they united with another church that was called Grace Christian. And it became Seacoast Grace. And it became a lot bigger. And um, you know, a big turning point in my life, I was uh, going through a, kind of a rough path in college, going down the wrong path and not choosing the, the best choices. My mom took me on a, a mission trip to El Salvador, and we went with the church, the evangelical church, um, and we went there for a week. I was part of a, a house building team. My mom was part of the vacation Bible school to teach the little kids, and we, we also brought doctors along with us to help people, and um, that just totally rocked my world. Um, it, it was just... I remember we would sing worship songs later at night and we would share experiences of, you know, what we experienced um, throughout the day. And I remember this lady telling me, she said, you know, Tony, I can tell God's working on your heart. You're never going to be the same. And um, it, it was just a huge, uh, impactful experience for me. And up until that time, I had been attending the evangelical church for a few years before that. Um, and I had a, a couple formative experiences. I guess you call them like born again moments. There was one time where I went to this retreat for high schoolers. And, um, you know, they have that moment where they ask you, hey, if you're feeling like you need, you know, if you feel, you know, like you need Jesus in your life, I invite you to kind of an altar call, I invite you to come up to the front and give your life over to Jesus. I remember doing that. Um, I remember doing that also one time in front of the whole congregation when they asked people. So I was definitely, you know, feeling the churnings in my heart, but I was never in a habit of praying or reading the Bible. Um, my parents are amazing people. They're incredible people, um, but that was just never part of my family life growing up. We never uh, prayed, never read the Bible, and even going to the evangelical church in high school, I never got into that habit. I would just kind of attend the main service like, you know, once or twice a month. Um, so I kind of went forward and backwards there, sorry, but fast forward to college um, when I was going through that rough patch. When I went to El Salvador, it was just a huge, huge 
impactful experience. And so after that, I came home and I became a lot more active in the evangelical church. Um, I guess they saw some leadership skills in me in El Salvador. They asked me to be part of the high school ministry. So I would go on Wednesdays and help to kind of, you know, oversee the kids and, and love on them and everything. And I started reading the Bible. Um, one of my friends took me to this class called Next Steps that Seacoast Grace was offering. And they were teaching you how to pray and how to read the Bible and everything. Um, and so that was kind of the beginning, the beginning of me uh, really progressing, I would say, you know, into Christianity and as a disciple of Christ right around college after I went to El Salvador. So hmm. that's kind of an intro on, on my background with, uh, with the evangelical church. Well, that's very interesting. So just a couple of quick questions. Um, mm -hmm. Was what version of the Bible did you guys typically use in the services? A good question. I don't know, but okay. I'm pretty, my, my parents had like, you know, the NIV or something like that. Okay. I don't remember exactly. Yeah. And just out of curiosity, what was the last name of the minister from you think Michigan? by chance. So his name is Doyle Surratt. Okay. I just was wondering because there's a large Dutch population. Maybe I oh, <laughs> in Michigan, yeah. I thought maybe uh, that would be the case. Honestly, uh, like it, it might not even be from Michigan. I might not be recalling it. Correctly. Yeah. Got last it. name is Surratt. Okay. So um, it, it's really interesting to me because you, you definitely had, you know, what many would consider a born again experience that the typical, you know, going up to the altar and asking Jesus in your heart and that kind of thing. And, you know, admit that you're a sinner and that you need uh, Christ in your life. And um, you, uh, so you would definitely, and you get a leadership position in the church. They sit, think, hey, this Tony guy, we want him to be involved in the church. You really start delving into uh, the word and really trying to uh, get better acquainted with the savior. And what was that like, that journey of just going from going to church once or twice a week to then really throwing yourself in the word? It was great. Um, it was really wonderful. And actually, it was kind of at the crossroads of me um, starting to investigate Mormonism as well. Uh, and I'm sure, I'm sure that some people might say, oh, you know, that was just uh, Satan getting to you. Because as soon as you, as soon as you caught fire with Jesus and the evangelical message, and as soon as you started reading the Bible, and as soon as you started praying, and as soon as you started becoming more active in the church, that's the same point that you started investigating Mormonism and eventually converted to Mormonism. So that's, um, I guess you could say, I never really had a chance to, I, I can't really answer that question because as soon as I started taking off, it's like I was introduced to another way um, at that same time. So it was really like simultaneous actually. That is really interesting. Isn't so that interesting? What, yeah. What, what led up to you getting diverted if you will <laughs> yeah yeah it, some people will call it a divert uh, a good diversion or a bad diversion so i had a, a an elder latter-day saint friend in high school uh, who became one of my best friends and um i i uh so anyway and then i also had another latter-day saint friend that i met in college working at a restaurant with um and um my latter-day saint friend from from uh high school he went on a mission to wisconsin and he got home from his mission he got home from his mission right about the time that I was starting to catch fire in the evangelical church. And so um, um, right around that time, my, my Latter-day Saint friend that I met in, in college working at a restaurant, she had an amazing family. She invited me over. I got to know them. Incredible people. Um, and they actually invited me to go to a general conference, which I'm sure you know what that is. But for your listeners who might not know, or my listeners, um, it's a biannual general conference of the church where the prophet and the apostle speak to all the world. And so they invited me to go to Utah with them. Um, and uh, 
it was an amazing experience. I got to go to a live session of General Conference in Utah and watch a, a movie about Joseph Smith and check out Desiree book and different books and just feel the environment of the place. It was a very peaceful place. I felt very inspired during that trip. So I came home and I was thinking to myself, okay, what, what's going on here? Like, God, I feel like you're putting me on this path, you know, uh, in the evangelical church. And now I'm feeling all these spiritual feelings. I mean, I felt the fruits of the spirit, peace, love, and joy, and all those things um, in Utah. And so I was actually attending Cal State Long Beach. And I was reading this like 40 page essay one night um, that I had to read for one of my classes. And all of a sudden, somewhere in the middle of the essay, I just stopped. And I was just thinking to myself, like, this whole restoration thing, you know, this whole Latter-day Saint restoration thing, like, is, is this, is there anything to this God? Like, you know, is this really true? Um, and I think I even wrote it down on a piece of paper. Anyway, um, I picked up where I left off and I continued to read the essay. And the very next sentence I read, the word restoration was in that sentence. I'm like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Is that a sign from God or is that just my brain? And I, I know, you know, my subconscious brain knowing that the word restoration was there and that's why I stopped. Anyway, um, so I went to school the next day at Cal State Long Beach and I'm not sure if you've heard of Institutes of Religion. Have, have you heard of the Institute? So, mm -hmm. yeah, so pretty much adjacent to most of the universities and colleges in the United States, there's a, a building owned by the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saint called the Institute of Religion. And what they do is they offer free religious classes to Latter-day Saints that are attending those colleges or anybody else that want to, wants to go. They offer classes on the Old Testament, the New Testament, um, the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, other topics. And um, it's just a, a place to gather, you know, play ping pong, have lunch, you know, study for your classes and take these classes. Um, so I had already been aware of what the Institute of Religion was. My, my friend had showed me the one over in um, another college. Um, and so anyway... I was kind of wondering where the Institute of Religion was at Cal State Long Beach. I had been going there for two years and I'd never, I'd never known where the Institute of Religion was. But now that I'd gone to the general conference and now that I had that little weird thing that happened with the restoration, the essay, it kind of reinvigorated my interest in, 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 in Mormonism and, and maybe finding out where the Institute of Religion was. So anyway, I wrote a note to myself to try to find out where the Institute of Religion was. I didn't know how I was going to find out. Um, so I went to my first class that day and then I was on my way to my second class and all of a sudden right in front of me, I see there's this booth set up with a big sign above it that said, welcome to the Institute. And there were two missionaries there and two members from the local singles ward. And I was just like, Hey guys, I literally was trying to figure out where this thing was. I wrote a note today, literally today. And they told me that that was the first time all year they had put up that booth. It was like October 4th, I think of 2006. Anyway. So that at that point, I like looked up into the sky and I'm like, hey, what's going on here? Are the stars aligning? Is this a sign from God? So anyway, long story short, I just started this investigation process where, um, like I told you already, I was already kind of more on fire with the evangelical church. But um, my friend, um, my friend Sean had come home from his mission also. Um, and so what I did was for about six months or so, I would attend my parents' church with them every single Sunday at nine in the morning. And then in the afternoon, I would attend the singles ward at one o'clock in the afternoon. Um, I started listening to the missionaries, taking the missionary discussions. Um, I started attending the Institute of Religion at Cal State Long Beach and taking their, their classes. I think they had one on um, like the New Testament and one on Doctrine and Covenants going on that semester. Um, and I started reading the Book of Mormon and I continued to read the Bible. So kind of just all these things going on. And I continued to go on Wednesday nights with the, with the high school ministry. So, um, and, uh, you know, the way I summarize it is just 
for me personally, at least, I know everybody has different experiences, but the, the quality and the quantity of the spirit I felt, the things that I learned and the associations I made were just so much more powerful um, and impactful to me in the Latter-day Saint uh, church and, and the experiences I was having. Um, and so, you know, if I was to give some specific examples, I mean, the Book of Mormon to me, I mean, I, I just feasted on it every single day. And it was amazing. I was like, wow, like there were so many beautiful gems in there, so many great teachings, so many great stories that filled up my heart with the fruits of the spirit. I mean, it was just something, and I could even tell, I know it kind of sounds funny, but I could tell in my countenance, I could tell that my countenance was being transformed and I had more light in my countenance. I could tell my parents could tell also. Um, anyway, and so um, I, I learned also about you know, so I read this book. I don't know. I know that you've read probably over 200 books about Mormonism, and I've only read like 50. I can't believe that. I need to catch up to you. But um, I read this book called Gospel Principles. Have you read the Gospel Principles manual before? No, I, I, I know of it, but I have not gotten my yeah, hands on it. And it has like 40 chapters, but it, it used to be a manual that was used during Sunday school during the second hour. Um, and in there, they talk about um, just the whole panoramic view of, of Mormonism, uh, what they believe and to me, it seemed to fill in all these puzzle pieces that I'd been curious about. Um, you know, it, it, it offers answers to so many questions of life, right? Like, where do we come from? Who is God? What's our relationship? What's our true purpose for being on earth? How does Jesus help us to progress? What, what goes on in the next life? What is our true potential? And all those kind of things. Um, and I felt like in the evangelical church, um, I felt like over and over and over again, the focus was, well, really the most important thing, which was... Jesus and him dying on the cross for us and that we need to repent and believe in him and we can be saved. I mean, that is the core of the gospel. Um, but I, I felt like those were, that was the only thing really being taught. And there wasn't really a lot of options being offered to me to answer the other questions of life that I just mentioned. And these, these seem to be pretty satisfying to me and they seem to, they seem to resonate with me. So that was something else that was appealing. Um, the associations I made were amazing as well. I mean, I don't know if you know what like a singles ward is or anything, but it was a pretty rocking singles ward um, with, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of people around my age. A lot of them had just gotten home from missions and they were just incredible, you know, fellowshippers as, as we call it, you know, Mormon parlance. Um, and uh, not that there were, you know, in the evangelical church, there were probably maybe 15 or 20, but this was like, you know, supercharged. So anyway, um, yeah, just so many experiences that I had, just different things I learned. And I was just eating it up, man. I was reading so many things. And um, so, yeah, it, it was, uh, I got to the point where I really felt, like, I just felt like I knew, I felt like I knew that God is real. God loves me. God's calling me towards this path. And uh, I couldn't deny it. And so uh, I told my parents about it. And that's a whole nother story. I can take a pause and take a drink of water, but Oh yeah, um, I was, my parents was a whole nother thing. So <laughs> I was I was just about ready to lead into that transition because this is a very interesting thing because obviously uh, your family and your evangelical friends are probably getting wind of this. They're probably saying, "What's he doing? Why is he going to another service? What's?" I mean, I imagine. I mean, I, look, you should see the kind of flack I get from evangelicals. Like, what are you doing, Steve? Like talking yeah, to yeah, these yeah. people and what are you? You know, and and so there's a lot of confusion. And a lot of people just kind of have this Godmaker's view of Mormonism, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, what was what was it like to deal with your family and your evangelical friends at this time? Yeah, well, 
So the uh, the pastor, the high school pastor, and the associate high school pastor, they came with me one time to the Institute of Religion at Cal State Long Beach, and the, the missionaries were there, and the missionaries taught them a lesson, and um, just they were kind of concerned for me and curious, and anyway, you know, they let the missionaries teach, and I remember the missionaries, you know, I remember the evangelical, my friend saying something like, so you believe that, uh, you believe that we can become, you know, gods one day, right, or something, and I remember the missionaries quoting Romans, you know, chapter eight, whatever. It's like, you know, the spirit bears witness that we're children. And if we're children, then we're heirs and joint heirs with Christ, you know, and they're like, what do you think that means? Anyway, they're just going back and forth and they didn't really say anything very much after that. Um, I remember talking to the associate high school pastor and just asking him some questions, you know, um, getting into the nitty gritty, for example, like in the evangelical church, they only baptize, um, they baptize by immersion in the water. But they don't like do anything after that, like, you know, giving the gift of the Holy Ghost or whatever like that. And I remember asking him, like, well, how about in the book of Acts where Paul, you know, says that he lays his hands on, on their head and gives them the gift of the Holy Ghost. And I remember him being kind of puzzled by that. He's like, oh, well, I don't know. And he never got back to me on that. So um, I remember also asking my my dad's a marriage and family therapist. My mom's a, a kindergarten teacher. I just have to give her a shout out. She's amazing. But my dad. um, one of his friends, who's also a marriage and family therapist, who also goes to that same evangelical church, um, my dad was kind of concerned for me, so he he brought me to his friend, and I remember asking his friend, like, so, you know, where do you get your authority, you know, like, you've baptized people before, like, where do you get the authority to do that, and I don't, anyway, I, I remember, you know, him kind of stumbling on some of the answers, and and my dad was kind of impressed, like, oh, my son's asking all these questions, anyway, um, but uh I honestly, uh, I wasn't very honest with my parents. They asked me, they're like, okay, it seems like you're pretty, you know, active with these Mormons. Are you kind of interested in joining? And I remember telling them, no, I, I wasn't very honest. I, I wish I would have been in hindsight. Um, so the, the way I came out to them, which wasn't the best way probably, is I wrote a note telling them that I wanted to get baptized and I put it on their desk and I, I lay in my bed trying to fall asleep and couldn't fall asleep the whole entire night. They, they, they woke up the next morning, they read the letter and they came to me and like their face was completely white as if they'd seen a ghost. And, uh, you know, they were crying and just telling me how concerned they were for me. Um, my dad had gotten a hold of a couple books that are, you know, considered anti-Mormon books, critical about the church. One is called Mormonism 101 and the other one's called um, A Mormon's Unexpected Journey, Finding the Grace I Never Knew. Anyway, he proceeded to start sharing with me a bunch of his concerns. And to be honest, I hadn't looked into a lot of the criticisms against the church. I was just kind of like tunnel vision. Like I was just soaking up all the good stuff, but I, I didn't really do a very balanced approach in hindsight. So he wanted to kind of balance me out. So um, we had, and I ended up postponing my baptism to respect my parents. I'm glad I did that. And so we had a series of meetings. He came and met with my Institute teacher one time. Um, I had a meeting one time where we met, at like a Jamba Juice or something with just me and my parents and then the associate head pastor of their church who's a super brainy, smart guy. Um, and I remember him talking to me and I tried to kind of explain why I believed and why I wanted to join. But of course, I was still very young in my <laughs> young in my face, so I didn't know how to articulate myself very well. And everything that I tried to say, he just refuted really quickly. And it was really, really frustrating to me and really hurtful to me, too, because the things that I had been learning and things that I had been experiencing were so incredibly amazing. Just, And I wanted my parents to be able to experience it as well. And just to have my that whole situation was so frustrating. I started crying. Um, and 
you know, I'm not really that much of a crier. I, I get teary eyed pretty easily in movies, but I don't really cry or sob very often, but I was like sobbing towards the end. I had to go to work. So I went to work, the claim jumper restaurant where I was a, a waiter and I tried to start working, but I was like continuing. I was just still emotional. My heart was broken. I've never cried that hard or that never cried that hard before or for that long. My manager just finally let me go. She's like, I can tell you, like, you're having a tough time. You, you need to go. So that was tough. And then the biggest meeting we had was um, there's this store called Ex-Mormons for Jesus uh, nearby where I live. It's run by these, you know, evangelical people who uh, feel like they have, you know, they feel like their Mormon brothers and sisters are lost and they love them and they want to help, you know, bring them out of this cult that they're in and help them to be born again and receive the true and full grace of, of Jesus and all that stuff. So um, we, we met there with the lady who ran a pl- who, who ran the place and she's not even an ex Mormon, but she ran the place. Um, and um, we met with the, the lady who wrote that book, the, the Mormon's unexpected journey, finding the grace I never knew. We met with her and her husband and she was like a sixth generation member, everything. Um, I brought the, uh, the Institute teacher. Um, I brought him along. It was me and my dad. And then my friend, who was this really skilled debater, like he had been talking online with like, you know, people who criticize the church, like for the last, you know, previous couple of years. So he was very skilled and talking back and forth. So it's basically just my dad and I witnessing the debate back and forth for like six and a half hours, one Friday morning in January, 2007. So at the end of that, my dad basically said, you know, thank you, Tony. I appreciate you giving it more time. Basically what he was saying was, okay, I can tell that not all Mormons are crazy. You know, <laughs> there's a lot of really intelligent and good-hearted people who believe in this, despite you know the criticisms that that I personally have and the concerns I have. So, I ended up getting baptized um, on February 18th of 2007. My parents came, my brother came. It was an amazing experience, and so that's kind of how all that went down. <laughs> hmm. Wow. Well, first of all, the um, many of my charismatic and Pentecostal friends would say. Well, obviously, he went to the wrong evangelical church, because if he went to the right one, he would have been able to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a separate event. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And who knows, a different path. But what I really respect about your story is that um, this wasn't some kind of like spur of the moment, like, oh, I met this girl at the singles ward. And, you know, I want to I want I want to get, you know, I'm going to join this church. You went deep into looking at the issues and to your credit you 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 took the time and you did delayed your baptism so you could honor your parents and really investigate both sides if you will and uh i think that's says a lot about your character but it also shows that you, this is not a shallow faith that you have yeah i i appreciate the compliment and um, i think to a certain degree yes in hindsight i could have continued to look into it even more and investigate on both sides before joining. Um, but I, I would say that I probably did it more than the average person yeah, that converts, Certainly. yeah, so. So you get baptized, do you, do you, I know you're older now, did you ever go on a mission? Yeah, so I was 23 essentially when I got baptized, almost 23, um, so yes, I did. You're, I think the cutoff age is 25 for leaving on a mission and I definitely wanted to go. And so I did go a year later uh, when I was 24. So I served in the Mexico City North mission from age 24 to 26. That's a whole other story, but it was an absolutely amazing, amazing, amazing experience. I have three or four journals that I often look back on and look at the highlights. I have multiple uh, missionary companions that I keep in touch with. I have dozens of people, um, either people that were already members of the church or people that I helped convert or people that I just met but never got converted, Um, people that I still keep in touch with. 
Um, I've gone back to visit uh, two different times. Um, one, one time was to see one of my best converts get sealed in the temple with his family in Mexico City. That was just a couple of weeks after I, my mission was over. And another time I went with my wife to go back and visit people. I just, I just talked with one of my uh, most beloved people that I met on Sunday on, on FaceTime. So it was an amazing, amazing experience. I mean, just so many miracles that we witnessed. And we actually had a pretty cool, a pretty cool uh, miracle that happened um, as my parents were dropping me off at the airport. My parents were dropping me off at the airport um, for me, the Long Beach City Airport, in order for me to go to Provo, Utah, to go to the Missionary Training Center. And this is probably the, one of the most vulnerable moments in my family's life. I mean, they had not been preparing to send me off for two years and they were crying. And anyway, um, my dad and I have a really close relationship and we connect a lot through music. And his favorite band is called the Moody Blues from the 60s and 70s, a cosmic rock band that I think is very underrated. Um, that's also my favorite band too. Um, you can tell how close of a relationship I have with my dad. They're also just really that good though. But anyway, um, I don't know how often I notice music playing in an airport, but at this really vulnerable moment in our life, they're about to drop me off. All of a sudden we notice music playing overhead. And out of all the you know songs that could be, it's a song by the Moody Blues. Um, and so you can imagine what kind of comfort that brought to us to know that there was a song by the Moody Blues, like right when they're about to drop me off. And the Moody Blues have over a hundred songs, but they have one song that has a special title that kind of has to do with God. And it's called, I Know You're Out There Somewhere. And that's the song that was playing. Um, so we still talk about that experience to this day, because for us, the timing of all that was just so amazing. And of course, the way I interpreted it was, hey, that's God telling you guys that this is a true church you need to join. But for my parents, they just felt like it was an undeniable witness that God was going to take care of me. And they, they felt a lot more at peace. So that was a really neat experience. Um, and uh, yeah, so went on a mission, got home from my mission, um, ended up um, getting married to a girl that I've been dating before the mission. Um, and um, we have two daughters now, a five-year-old and a three-year-old daughter. And I feel just incredibly blessed to have an amazing wife and amazing daughters. And um, I'm a teacher. Here I am in my classroom getting ready a couple of days before we go back. And um, this is my ninth year and I'm a junior high teacher. I teach Spanish and history and I really love it. And they're in the trenches with those kids who really need it. Try to inspire them and mentor them. And like you said, um, you know, I, I, uh, I was like a pretty popular kid in elementary school, played a lot of sports and stuff, but for whatever reason, I suffered in, in junior high and high school from social awkwardness, from depression. Um, and I was always a pretty sensitive kid too. And I felt like a lot of my friends from elementary school kind of became part of the cool group and the popular kids and bullying people, making fun of them. And so um, I, was, I was alone a lot at, at lunchtime during those years. So that's um, partly why I started this club at school, like you talked about. So um, I saw a video one time of this, uh, th these people who started this club in Florida. It's a club called No One Sits Alone and they go during lunch and they go talk to people who are sitting alone, new people, whatever. And so that's what we've been trying to do the last few years. And it's been great. Um, as far as my faith journey goes, um, finally, for the first time, about three or four years ago, I finally started to fully dig into what the critics say about the church. I'd never done that before. Um, one of my best friends that I met when I joined the church, his wife was leaving the church and he was starting to go down the rabbit hole, as they call it. Um, and um, so I was like, you know what, I'm going to go down this journey with you. And you know what? I, I said to myself, it's like, I know that more and more people are leaving the church today. And if I want to understand them better, you know, it's also like, if you're to buy something on Amazon, you're going to look at the positive and negative reviews equally before you commit money to something. Right. And so I thought I would do that. Um, so long story short, I mean, I went down some deep, deep rabbit holes for hundreds and hundreds of hours. Some of the biggest ones were the book of Mormon, polygamy, racism in the church, um, the LGBTQ issue, 
women in the church and also just the idea of prophets and, you know, the whole idea of epistemology, spiritual witness, um, the Bible, so, so many different things. Um, obviously, not, obviously not comprehensive. That would take a lifetime. But um, so my conclusion was basically is there there are a lot more errors and mistakes and doubts about all these truth claims that I used to believe in such a black and white way. Um, I, I used to believe in a very black and white way. Just give you one one example. Um, one of the biggest things that bothered my dad was the the, the ban on the uh, blacks for the priesthood. And I remember him asking me a little bit after I got baptized. He's like, you know what, Tony, are you even open to the possibility that the prophets could have gotten that wrong, but the church still be true? And right away, I was just like, oh, no, like, get away. That's there's no way I can. There's there's no way that these these prophets are guided by God. If they're going to make a big decision like that, it's always going to be inspired. And anyway, I remember being really closed off to that. But now I'm at the point um, where I'm totally open to that possibility. In fact, I, I do believe with a high degree of certitude that it was wrong. Um, and I believe the prophets can make the, the big mistakes, just like you see in the Bible, the prophets are, are very, are very vulnerable to erring. Um, but that doesn't get rid of all the things about the church that I still find to be very inspiring and good, like, like temples and the Book of Mormon and the doctrines of the plan of salvation and, and the way the church is organized and run and, and so many aspects that I still find inspiring and good. But um, I can see that there are a lot of criticisms about the truth claims of the church that seem pretty, pretty credible. There's a lot of criticisms against, as you know, the first vision and the priesthood and the Book of Mormon and the claim of having a modern prophet and temples and all that. And I have a lot more of an understanding and empathy for those kind of things. And um, to be honest, I mean, I don't claim that I know 100% anything anymore. Um, some people would maybe call me a hopeful agnostic, but I would say that I'm still a believer. I still have a, a burning testimony and belief in the restoration. I can't necessarily put my finger on it and say, I know that this part is 100% true and this part is 100% true. But overall, um, I feel like there's a lot of inspiring and good things and in, in the church, and I still want to be a part of it. Um, doesn't mean that I absolutely know everything. If I find out one day that something wasn't true, well, I'm still trying. To, I'm still trying to live the best life that I can right now. And I think it's. I think it's pretty hard to know absolutely 100% um, almost anything, unless I was to have like a vision of Jesus and He was to come to me, right? Um, I don't, so I know that people say that you know that if you have a testimony of the Holy Spirit, that should be 100% proof, right? But I realize that people can fill the Holy Spirit in different religions that have contradictory tooth claims, or they can feel the, the Holy Spirit watching a movie, or, um, so I want to have, try to have some humility, and even though I've had powerful spiritual experiences, and I could almost feel like I could say, yeah, I know that this is true because of the spiritual experience, I've learned a little bit recently to step back a little bit and have just leave a little bit of wiggle room. Um, not everybody would agree with me on that, but that's, that's kind of where I've been at, uh, lately, so. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, it was, uh, we were talking the other day and having a conversation and just, I talked, you know, how is it that a, usually a convert, they take the whole thing, hook, line, and sinker, and you say, oh, I yep. did, Steve, I did. So I, I thought, oh, okay, so you, you were you were very conservative, obviously, and then you became have become more progressive, if you will, within your faith. Yeah. And I just want to talk a little bit about, so you have this, you have the Restoration Table yeah. YouTube channel, and you also have um, a private Facebook group. On, uh, called the restoration table which i've had the honor to be gained admittance to and we're so I, glad you're in there by the way brother so glad and i don't post a whole lot but when i do i mean like like i'll sometimes add a little bit to the conversation but i almost feel like 
I'm the fly on the wall observing some of the most interesting conversations of the restoration are happening in your group. And sometimes there's little conflicts that happen now and then and fights oh, yeah. and stuff. Uh, yep. But it, it's a very respectful conversation. And there's a lot of some of the brightest people that's in your church are engaged very, uh, very, I mean, just amazing how, how, how engaged they are in having a real adult conversation about your faith. And uh, it's just a real honor to be part of that group. Well, I'm so glad that you're in it. And kind of just, I'm going to ask you this question towards the end too. But, you know, the reason I started the group was, well, number one, I had learned so many things the last 14 years that I wanted to start sharing them because I thought other people might be fascinated by them and might benefit. Um, I also saw that there was this big void that needed to be filled. Um, as you know, there's so many, so many echo chambers out there where people just want to gather with like-minded people. Um, there's so many people that just lack the basic relationship communication one-on-one skills, right? Like I told you, my dad's a, my father's a marriage and family therapist. Not that I'm an expert, but I feel like I've grown up learning a lot of great, you know, peacemaking and bridge building type uh, skills from him. Um, and so, and it just makes me so sad to see, you know, people leave the church and then all of a sudden their relationship with their parents is estranged and they don't see each other as much. There's a lot of judging and pain. Um, and, and just, as you know, and politics and everything, and it's just like, you know what, there's, there's, a, there's a way that we can still have a close relationship. We can even deepen our relationship. Forget about, forget about, you know, uh, lo losing aspects of a relationship. Not only can we maintain it, we can deepen our relationship. If we just learn how to get out of our comfort zone and listen to one another, even we don't have to agree with each other, but still give each other the dignity of listening to each other and, you know, focus on our common ground that we have. And then, you know, if we still disagree about certain things at the end of the day, it's just going to make us stronger to learn about divergent viewpoints, right? Um, we don't need to make each other out to be monsters. Um, and so, you know, and, and in some ways, we can correct each other's blind spots too, right? By, by being in conversation with people who have different views from us, right? So my, my whole idea was I wanted to bring people, anybody who cares about the restoration. And of course, there's a, a more narrow definition of that, right? I'm talking about what Joseph inaugurated and then the branches that come off from that. But, you know, the whole idea of restoration and the whole idea of, of Joseph's vision was to, you know, rec bring reconciliation between God and his creatures, between, you know, his children and, and, and each other, and also just to gather in all truth. So really, it's just anybody, you know, the whole idea of a table, right? Just come to the table, kind of like at a potluck, you bring your favorite stuff, everybody share, listen to each other. And anybody who wants to talk about whether it's the, the narrow definition or the, the greater project of restoration, come together and let's, let's edify each other and become friends and, and learn how to um, have passionate disagreements civilly. Uh, that was my whole goal of why I wanted to start the YouTube channel and then also the Facebook group. And um, it's been really neat. It's been really neat. I've met, I've met a lot of really cool people. I've learned a lot of new things. I've been able to share things that have benefited others. And it's still kind of just getting off the ground. Um, it's only been, you know, pretty active for about six months now, but I'm, I'm looking forward to the future. And one of my favorite things that happened is, is uh, meeting, meeting somebody like you. Um, and uh, I think you have an incredible bridge building spirit, which I know we'll get more into in a second. But yeah, that's kind of the vision for my whole restoration table project. Yeah. So what you're doing very much resonated with me. And uh, there's, no, there's a gentleman in the restoration, independent restoration branch is named Patrick McKay, whose mission is to bring about unity to all the branches of the restoration. And uh, so he, he does a wonderful work. It's like I'm just looking out and trying to find bridge builders 
and interesting yeah. people that have different ideas to bring to the table, like our friend Nathan Smith, having him come on and having a wonderful conversation about his experience being a teenage apologist for Fair Mormon and his uh, oh, yeah. struggles uh, at, in at the PTSD that he experienced on his mission field. See, I want yeah. to have real conversations. We acknowledge our differences, yep. but we, we, we still have this human conversation because this is what I try to tell people. I said, listen, no matter how you look at that person on the other side of the street, that is a fellow image bearer. And we need to recognize that, that we all have that divine nature within us and we need to break down these barriers that separate us and so tony i feel that is what you're doing with what i'll call your ministry oh thank you i appreciate that should we turn the tables over and ask you a few questions so the restoration table turns the tables okay i love it yes um tell 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 me uh what was the origin of your fascination with mormonism well and i've told this story in a few other places but it really started at a marriott hotel when i was probably about seven or eight years old and i encountered the book of mormon and i saw the arnold freiberg paintings and i saw this something that seemed familiar but very very different and i was so intrigued by the the, the imagery of course as you're a young child you're you're very much influenced by images more than words and um it really struck me like what what is this king noah doing in here like that doesn't make sense to me and why are they shooting arrows at that guy up on the uh, up on the walls there, Samuel the Lamanite, right? And why is Jesus appearing like the second coming to the Old Testament times? You know, that's how it all. You know, I was looking through the lens of a Christian like this. It right, right, right. It was so fascinating to me, and and I asked my parents, and of course they didn't know much about Mormonism. They said, "Well, that's their Bible. They're from Utah, and they don't. They're not Christians, or they they have a different Bible." And but. I, I still thought, wow, this is really interesting. Well, and even as a young kid, you know, I was kind of very evangelical in wanting to reach the lost, you know, and one of the things that kind of struck me was, you know, we have this Bible, but it doesn't seem to be working anymore. In other words, people are not reading it. They're not listening to it. It doesn't apply to them. And as a young child, I said, we need a Bible too, something that addresses our modern world. And then to hear about this young boy who kind of had the same uh, encounter, if you will, with scripture, find, finding a scripture, if you will, that addressed the, the, the days, the, the modern, the, the issues of the time and was relevant wow. and was answering questions that were, that was dealing with at that time, like, hey, this is the proper mode of ba baptism, you know, it's, it's a believer's baptism, you know, that kind of thing. So, I, so that would kind of resonate with me. So the idea right. that there'd be new scripture didn't scare me off because uh, I'm not a Catholic. I don't ascribe to the Council of Trent that the canon is closed. Um, scripture doesn't say that this canon has to be closed. So I, I, from a very young age, recognize that all the verses in the Bible that Protestants use to say that there is no, uh, that the canon is closed is not the proper context of the scripture. So the idea of new wow. scripture would not scare me either. So you're in the minority then, because most evangelicals I've encountered are, are the opposite of what you're talking about. Well, it's because right? they, they, they don't know history and they don't read their Bible. They just yeah. uh, they just tell you what the pastor tells you. Right, right, right. Well, that's, and that's just so common. Yeah, and and so Bible two point oh, that's me. That yeah, that's got, at the fun, yeah. I mean, back then it would have been a Bible too because we didn't have two point concepts like that in, right, in our right. vernacular. But but I, I I thought that at the time, and uh, so yeah, that was just kind of like the 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 foundation of this whole thing. Now, as a young child, I was a very different kid. I mean, I I 
I, I developed my own theology on a lot of different things. Or I, I at, by the time I was in second or third grade, I was post-tribulation rapture, where everybody else was pre-tribulation rapture. How in the oh, world wow. I came to being post-trib and everybody else, the popular thing was to be pre-trib. But on my own study of the scriptures, I somehow came across, no, no, he's not coming until the end of the tri tribulation. Well, my views oh, wow. on the end times have since changed. But I just always was an, a kind of an original thinker. I don't care what the yeah. pastor has to say. I got to read this myself. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's kind of been, that's kind of the milieu, you know, of my upbringing. Well, then as I get older, you know, I end up, uh, actually, I tell in one of my book reviews, I end up uh, uh, acquiring a Book of Mormon from a Marriott Hotel, which uh, I have okay. since apologized that I stole a Book of Mormon, but uh, <laughs> people have assured me that, no, that's okay, Steve. It was good. The Marriott's have plenty of extra Book of Mormons to hand out to people. That's hilarious. So that would, I guess, in one sense, probably be the very first book of my collection. Oh, wow. Amazing. That's a good first book to have. Yeah. So uh, I'm curious just to back up a little bit. What, what was your background um, in Christianity, like growing up? So um, my family, heritage-wise, um, comes from a long line of members of the Christian Reformed Church, which is a primarily Dutch Reformed Church. Uh, okay. based based in the Grand Rapids, Michigan, the oldest denomination period, Catholic or Protestant, is the Reformed Church in America. It's been here since almost the very beginning of the of the founding of, of our country. Um, wow. And, and uh, the Reformed Church in America was the Church of the Roosevelt's. It was one of the establishment churches. Well, in the 19th century, there was this new wave of Dutch immigrants who came, and they didn't like how liberal the Reformed Church in America was. They didn't like the fact that they allowed Masonic membership in the Reformed Church of America. Um, these people still spoke Dutch, so they preferred their services in the Dutch. So in Southwest okay. Michigan, these they started the true Dutch Reformed Church, you know, and that's, okay. it, it morphed into the Christian Reformed Church. And they are essentially uh, still evangelical oriented. The New International Version that we talked about earlier is from that church. They initiated that uh, much of your intellectuals come from the Christian Reformed Church. They call us the, they call us the Jews of evangelicalism, that we are a small little church, but our impact is so tremendous in the intellectual oh, world. And wow, I'd love to learn more about that. All the book publishers, I mean, almost all the major book publishers are based in Michigan and a Christian oh. book publisher. So we're so super influential for a small denomination, probably doesn't even have 200,000 members at this point. So... Oh. Um, but in the 60s and 70s, uh, before I was born, my parents started getting involved in the charismatic renewal movement. And this was quite a mighty move of God that happened at this time, in which we saw the very barriers that you and I are concerned about, those barriers were falling down between all these other churches and denominations. And we had this tremendous move of God. It didn't matter what church you went to on Sunday morning. We would have these, uh, they would have these meetings where all these groups of people would come together and worship the Lord. The one thing, you know, that is in common, see, worship is the encounter with heaven. That is heaven brought down to earth is done through worship. And so that is where we can have our best connection with him is through the, the joint worshiping of Jesus and, and, and what that all stands for, and allow the Holy Spirit to enter into the congregation. So it brought, uh, I mean, I'll just tell you a quick story. There was this, uh, this, my father was a president of Full Gospel Businessmen's Association, and that was like the, that was really important. I mean, people of the history of charismatic movement, that was like the forefront of bringing about this interdenominational um, uh, kind of a, a, a Holy Ghost 
a move ecumenical movement, if you will. And he yeah. would have, uh, we were in Northwest Indiana, just outside Chicago, and we would have these Catholic priests from South Bend would be coming and doing meetings. And there was this one particular Catholic priest who was a healing, he had a healing ministry. And he'd be laying hands on people and they would be getting, you know, healed, get, getting up to get healed and have other issues done. And he has a cigarette dangling out of his mouth, you know, uh, <laughs> he's smoking away and he's, you know, he praying for people and getting them healed and stuff like that. It was a, it was a, an incredible time to be alive. And there was this great move of God that happened. But unfortunately, what happens with moves of God is the first thing man wants to do is, well, we need to put a building over it. We need yeah. to contain it. We need a bureaucracy. We need to, you know, yeah. and, and next thing you know, we just got another denomination and we're back to square one. And next thing you know, the church services are very much similar to the churches that those people left in the 60s and 70s. You don't have yeah. the spontaneity of the spirit operating. And that's because man just wants, you know, it's that pharisaical aspect yeah. of us. We want to, you got to have rules and, oh no, you got to follow these proper doctrines and we got to look very carefully and be super concerned about what you're doing. And then of course, right. then the spirit's like, okay, I guess I'm not welcome here anymore. Or maybe he just leaves a little bit of himself there. He says, you know, I'm, I'm looking for people that want to embrace the fullness of embracing the gifts of the spirit and not just some, but all of them. Right, right. Well, that's a fascinating origin, Steve. I'm sure you have a lot more that you could talk about your evolution throughout and everything. Um, I'm curious, what what has sustained your interest in Mormonism throughout all those years, even up until the present day? I know I, you told me about the original spark that you had, yeah. but well, you know, there's there's been a lot of instances. Uh, partly was uh, I was at a conference in Oregon, and I was attending a weights and measures conference, and I ran into this new conference, Mormonism. Well, I, I wasn't old enough to drive, uh, get a car rental. So I would just, during breaks, I would go and park myself in front of the Mormon section of Powell's books. And I encountered this new convert. And at this time, I'm thinking, I know Mormonism pretty good because at this point, I started reading books and started collecting it, but you know, it was still in its infancy. And then this, after about three hours of talking to this guy, I realized, oh man, I, this guy's running circles around me and he's at least, or, or maybe I'm kind of doing okay, but I thought I'd yeah. be running circles around him, you know? Yeah. And so I recognized, okay, I really need to throw myself into that. And at this time, I would categorize myself as a charismatic Calvinist. In other words, I, you know, so I viewed things through a Calvinistic lens, which, of course, you know, a Calvinist, they, mm -hmm. they're all about debate and getting the facts right and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so yeah. I went and really started getting, uh, adding to my collection of books. But the strange thing that kept on happening is, is I would get these books, I'd read them, and I loved the story of the Book of Mormon. Yeah. I love the way, I love the fact that it exists. I love the, the coming forth of it. And I also have to say that I never, ever could get myself to not dislike Joseph Smith. Yeah. I, I like, even when, Fawn, when I read Fawn Brody stuff or whatever, there's something about Joseph Smith that really compels me. I don't dislike the man. I actually kind of like the guy. And even there, there's so many issues with him. But yeah. when you don't, dislike the person that is the founder of this movement it makes it very difficult to really hate on the mormons right or hate on your on your church right so i just really found myself uh found something about joseph that i liked and i know there's issues with the guy even within your group you know you discuss a lot of issues with joseph yeah, and yeah. i acknowledge all of them but yeah, then yeah. as time's gone by you know i have to tell you tony there's a story i want to tell and it's probably not going to be in this forum but uh, part of my story is uh, how Mormonism saved my life. Wow, really? Yeah. And it really had to do with me suffering severe clinical depression. And one of the things that um, 
I recognized at the time is when people um, suffer very severe depression is they, and, um, they lose interest in everything. Right. But the one thing I didn't lose interest in was Mormonism. Wow. So amazing. I thought, I recognize I'm depressed. I've lost interest in everything, but at least I have this. So I just kept on buying book after book after book and reading and reading them and studying and just getting this knowledge of Mormonism, which on one side of me is like saying, what the heck are you doing, Steve? I mean, you're depressed. What good is this information? But on the other hand, right. I recognize like it's important that I have my mind engaged in something. Yeah. If I don't have that, I don't know if I'd be around. Well, so, that's really amazing. I appreciate you feeling comfortable enough to share that. And I know I'm sure there's more details to it, but that's really, really neat that, that that's, uh, that's something that helped to su sustain you through those times. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, it I'm really sure. just dawned on me the other day, like, oh, you know, Mormonism kind of saved my life. <laughs> amazing. That is amazing. Well, I'm sure some onlookers would ask the question, so, uh, you know, has it ever entered, entered your mind at some point, Steve, that maybe, maybe that's evidence enough that God wants you to follow the path and, and join the church, if that's, if that's literally the only thing that, that you could think of to preserve you through depression. So I'm sure you've thought these things through before. So I guess that's the question is what, what has stopped you short of uh, joining when there's obviously some magnetic forces that can, that seem to pull you in that direction for one re for whatever reason. Well, you know, I have to tell you, first of all, ever since I was a young kid, I said, I'll never join a church because I don't believe in joining a church. Gotcha. I believe our relationship gotcha. is with him and him alone. And I don't need anybody in the way. Gotcha. And, I, and that, that's so my relationship foundation. is with him. So even as a little kid, I thought this yeah. is crazy. I have to, I have to belong to a bureaucracy in order to encounter yep. the divine. No, no. So I was always opposed to church membership as a young kid, never joined a church. Gotcha. Okay. And so uh, I don't feel that I would ever join. And, and, and this is the thing, like, look, I'm, I'm charismatic, I'm charismatic in my orientation. And Which I means have, what again? Can you define that for the audience? Well, you know, like, mean? hey, we like, we have a good time in church, man. We clap right. our hands. We, we make a joyful noise. Right, we we right. dance. We do whatever the spirit yeah, leads yeah, us yeah. to do, right? And there's a freedom yeah, there. Yeah. Well, I have to tell you, I attended an LDS church, man. And I, oh, man, I, I'm, first thing I'm sitting there, I'm looking around. I was like, man, these people could use a cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> it is very, it is very mellow. That's for sure. Yeah. So it, it just, that's just not, you know, Christopher Thomas and I, we, we have these uh, week, weekly conversations with each other. It usually lasts about two hours. And Christopher is the author of a Pentecostal, reads the Book of Mormon. Yeah, right. And, uh, you know, a lot of his Pentecostal friends, every time he heads out to, to, to Utah to do some lectures at BYU, they're all like, we better not come back, you know, a Mormon or whatever. And he said, you don't understand. I attended their services, man. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> this Pentecostal ain't going to do that. And so yeah. to me, there's, and, and you know what, to be honest with Tony, there are theological differences that are, are, are large, oh, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. And so I, I, I don't, I don't see myself joining um, any church. Now, if, if you put a gun to my head and said, Steve, you have to join, if you have to choose a church in the restoration to join, I'd be like, okay, I'll join the church of Jesus Christ, the Pentecostal Mormons, because right, I, right. I did a three hour service with them, man. I felt the spirit that three hour service felt like it lasted 45 minutes, man. Those people were awesome. And it was cool. one of the most engaging church services I ever attended. So where is that? I didn't even know that existed. Where is that? Well, um, the church of Jesus Christ, they're headquartered in Pennsylvania and they are the remnants of the church that Sidney Rigdon attempted to form. And okay. there's this gentleman who out of the ashes of this uh, church that kind of basically became a disaster because Sydney was a bit unbalanced at this yeah. time. 
um, there's this gentleman named William Bickerton who kind of became their prophet, seer, and revelator. Oh, yeah, I've heard of him, yeah. And uh, this church is the third largest church in the Restoration. And uh, they have about 25,000 members worldwide. And uh, they have congregations uh, in, in, throughout the United States. And I happen to uh, attend one. Of, I thought the very first church of the Restoration I'm going to attend is going to be that church, because that to me is the perfect intersection of the world I'm in and the Restoration. Yeah, I got to go check that out sometime, the Pentecostal. Oh, it's I great. It. It's great, I, man. I, I love doing interfaith work. So I've, I've attended Jehovah's Witnesses services. I've been to an open mosque day. I also attended um, a Pentecostal service like three or four times over what, nearby where I live. So I, I love checking out different experiences like that. Well, and this is the so thing. Neat. If you look at the church that's described in the Book of Mormon, see this Church of Jesus Christ, they, they just, they love Jesus, they love the Bible, and they love the Book of Mormon. And yeah. all they do is Bible and Book of Mormon. Well, if you want to see what a church that's patterned after the Church of the Book of Mormon looks like, right, right. it's that church. Yep. I hear you. There's a lot of parts in the Book of Mormon and Mosiah and Alma where they very charismatic things going on. All right. Well, my, my next question is, uh, you know, there's I'm just curious, why why are why are there not more Christians and evangelicals um, like you around? Uh, because I feel like a lot of the evangelicals I've I've encountered or maybe the Calvinistic type who just want to start you know, showing me why I'm wrong, everything. And you come at it from a different angle. You, you seem to be, uh, take more of a kind approach. Why, why, why do you think uh, that's more uh, harder to find? Um, you know, it's just a really sad thing that's happened to the evangelical movement. Um, it's, it's I, I just grieve for, my, for, for, for the movement that I'm a part of. Um, I don't really recognize a lot of it anymore um, because of just the craziness that's happened to it. I kind of walked away from evangelicalism for like 20 years. And uh, when I came back to it, I was like, oh my goodness, these, this, is, this is a disaster. Well, there's just a lot of stereotyping. Unfortunately, there's, there's bigotry um, towards the other. And this isn't just um, within a religious context. I'm seeing it across the board. Anybody that's slightly different than them is viewed as like of the devil. Yeah. And it's just a very sad state that we're in. And, uh, you know, I've had experiences in my life that have caused me to be very sensitive to people that are different from myself. And I always looked for the best in people. And I always looked for um, the things that I could relate to with that other person. So throughout my entire life, I would be, I could be friends with just about anybody, you know, you know, I'd be more conservative in my orientation, but I have very good friends that are feminists and people yeah. of the LGBTQ community. I've always been able to, uh, be friends with people from all aspects of life. So that's, that's, cool. that's how I'm wired. And so that enabled me to be able to just easily transition and walk right into the restoration and just feel like I'm at home in some sense, because I'm not afraid of the other. I want to have a conversation with people because I think that the, this, this country where it's going, man, we need this. We need this kind of conversation because there isn't, unfortunately, there isn't a whole lot of people like me in my movement. And yeah. we're all just, we built barriers and unfortunately, yep. uh, they need to be torn down. I, I think I just need to, we just need to tear the whole edifice down on my side and start all over again because it's just yeah. a disaster. Well, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame it entirely on the evangelicals because I think a lot of the way they, they, behave, they engage is a reaction to the way that we pursue them, right? 
So we knock on their door and, and talk about how, you know, they're part of the apostasy and all that. So probably a lot of it's probably in reaction to us, but oh, yeah. sure. I, so I don't know if you know of this guy, his name's Richard Mao. He used to be the president of the Fuller Theological Seminary, but he, he, he apologized one time to the Latter-day Saints on behalf of his fellow evangelicals for not not treating the Mormons well enough. Um, and he got some flack for that. Oh, he did. And, and actually, Richard Mao is from the Christian Reformed Church. Oh, okay. Um, so, so just to give you an idea how small of a denomination yeah. it is, but how influential it is. And yeah, he caught flack too, because he's also said kind things about LGBTQ people as well. Okay. And so I guess you could say he's kind of a progressive, if there can't okay. be one within with the evangelical movement. But yeah, Richard Mao is a good guy. I've always had a real high regard for the man. That's cool. That's so neat that you know about him. Well, um, I was curious. I mean, you've, you've swam in these waters of Mormonism for a long time now, more than the average Christian. What would you say are some of the some of the, your favorite aspects of uh, uh, Latter-day Saint teachings or practices that you think Christ, your fellow Christians could uh, benefit from? It's hmm, a good question. Um, first of all, uh, across the board, some of the friendliest people I've ever met um, are across all aspects of the restoration. I, I'm dealing with every community of Christ, uh, independent churches, uh, Church of Jesus Christ, and the, there's a real spirit there of uh, just their kindness. I always tell people they show a kindness to a stranger, and that's a very Christ-like quality. And so I just think that there's a, uh, there's a niceness to the people that I really appreciate. Um, people's open their, they've opened their homes up to me. I've spent the night at, oh, cool. at a person's home in, in Utah while I was there for the Mormon History Association. To have that kind of intimate connection with people um, and I also think that, you know, one of the things that I think really helps is that because I'm from the charismatic movement, see, I, a Presbyterian cannot have a lot of the conversations that I'm able to have with the restoration, because I believe in the gifts, you believe in the gifts are operational to this day. Yeah. And so, like, I remember even posting in the restoration table talking about, like, an experience I had where I was slain in the spirit and received the gift of tongues. And boy, I had a lot of people in the group asking me a lot of questions about that. They're very yeah, yeah. interested in hearing about it. They yeah. weren't repulsed by it. Like a, a, like a lot of your um, right. James White people and your just right-wing Calvinists, they just, yeah. they, they run away from that stuff. They don't know how to handle yeah. it, you know? So- I will ask you about James White, by the way. I'm okay, well, well, we'll talk about yeah. him before. Yeah, and, and I think too that, you know, now that we've, we live in a postmodern world, and the problem that a lot of these churches have is they have very little ability to adapt to the changing landscape. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you're operating in the spirit and you're not just uh, tied to uh, reciting creeds, but you're actually about uh, following what, where the spirit leads you to go, it enables you to engage people on a level of where they're at. And uh, so to me, it's a real uh, important thing. But I guess, you know, there's so many things about the church. I love the history. I, I, I think the thing about Mormonism is I just love the history. I love the people. I love the audacity <laughs> of Joseph Smith. Yeah. Uh, whether you believe in him or not, he was truly a religious genius and a man, uh, a very important historical figure that needs to be taken very seriously. Yeah. There's not very many religions that make the type of claims that, that he makes, that he made and that our church makes, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Claims. Yeah. That God, the Father and Jesus came to visit the earth and all the stuff of the Book of Mormon is exactly like he said it was. And there's literally a prophet on the earth today, just like Moses or whatever. And that, you know, just all these things. It's uh, I mean, it's not only that, right? It's 
all these other claims that Peter, James, and John came down and Elijah and Elias. And that's a lot of, those are a lot of claims. Yeah, it is. <laughs> right? It is. So, um, yeah. So I'm, I'm curious, um, what are, what are, what are, what are aspects that you think are missing, um, from, from the church that you think that our church, our church, uh, could have another way to ask that would be, I mean, you already talked about it, right? Some of the charismatic stuff. You think we could use some more charisma in our uh, in our services? And you said there's some theological differences. I'm guessing that that might be a whole other tangent for maybe another day. We could talk well, about you know, I just feel, the theological topics, but that's, I, I mean, yeah. I think I mean, look, grace, grace yeah. is so important. Liberty right. in Christ, the yeah. ability to uh, operate in a way that you have freedom of conscience and thought, and you can not. So often people who are a little bit stick out a little bit too much, I feel like they sometimes are pushed back on or given threatened to be excommunicated. I just think that needs to stop. I think yeah. just this attitude of listen, um, this, this we consider ourselves the body of Christ and and we we need to just realize that within the body, there's a different body part and has a different function. And rather than chop off a finger because of because I don't agree with it, we allow that finger to be part of the full body. And so I just think like grace is so important because yeah. it's not a sloppy agape, dude. It grace is my response to grace is not of, oh, I can just go and do whatever I want now. My response to grace is I'm grateful. Right. I'm right. grateful for what you did at the cross. And I'm and 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 that's you get a sense of gratefulness, not a sense of oh I can just get away with murder now within the concept of grace. So because a lot of Mormons misunderstand what grace is, um, and then um, yeah I think you could you liven it up, man. You know um, I think you should be able to raise your hands and clap your hands in church service. I think it's invigorating, and I think it just really adds a dimension to worship that's scriptural. It's in the Bible, and uh, right. I think it should be embraced, man. Right. Well, that's really neat. Yeah. And, you know, historically, our church didn't emphasize grace very much in the early years, but the last uh, couple of decades, it's been emphasizing it more. So I think that's uh, a good trend, hopefully. Um, I'm, I'm curious, uh, if I had to just ask you on the spot, what are your top three favorite books within Mormonism? Could you could you list them off? <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I loved Ross Stone Rowling. I just think yeah. that's a fantastic book. I mean, I guess and then the next one that comes to mind, of course, is uh, Fawn Brody's book is really, really good. Yeah. Um, I think that my friend Christopher's book, A Pentecostal Reads the Book of Mormon, is a very dynamic book. I facilitated him to give a group, a discussion to a group of, of various people, the restoration throughout, to give yeah. the presentation. And the word I got back from people was that was the best presentation they'd ever seen of the Book of Mormon ever given. And this is a Pentecostal wow. giving it. Um, so it's a dynamic book. So yeah, those are three right there. Okay. Nice, nice. So, you know, what? I almost bought that book because I love the Book of Mormon. It's my favorite topic. However, I was a little bit skeptical because I, I listened to him on a podcast. He gave an interview and there was nothing really in that interview that seemed to me like, oh, wow, this is some new, really cool insight that I haven't known about. Already. Dude, there are um, some real insights. So there's some in good book. ones. So yeah. the, the one that he did share, he shared one in there is that he noticed that the story of Alma 24, where they surrender their weapons in the earth, that's at the exact center of the whole Book of Mormon. That's him, right? Yep. So that that's it. That was really cool. But besides that, you're telling me that there's some other really cool things in there that's worthwhile. I should buy it, huh? Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. There's well, some really I'll, cool. I'll yep. take you up on that. And and, and I've talked to some that. very highly regarded scholars who've engaged his book and told him, uh, "I'm getting new insights out of the Book of Mormon that I've never gotten before." Well, cool. Well, I that's enough. That's all I need right there. I'll, I'll report back to you on that. I'm looking forward to it. 
Speaking of the Book of Mormon, um, I'm curious, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that you don't believe it's a historical record. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I, it does not function as scripture for me, right? Yeah. Um, but I, the contents themselves, the theology of the Book of Mormon doesn't bother me all that much. I do have a few quibbles here and there with a few things. Um, I'm actually going to make a presentation down the road called A Protestant Defense of the Book of Mormon. Um, because I, I, I think it's important that it's a text that should be engaged and not feared. Yeah. Um, yeah. I actually have a few innovative apologetic uh, apologetic things that I also want to introduce as well um, that I cool. think might, might be very helpful to deal with the race issue as well within the Book okay. of Mormon. Cool. Uh, so yeah, uh, but yeah, it doesn't function as scripture to me, but I'm not afraid of the idea that I always tell people if they found evidence that this was scripture, it only bolsters the Bible <laughs> because it basically says the Bible is yeah. true. So, uh, you know, I'm open to the idea the spirit works, God works in mysterious ways, but no, it, it's, it's not. Okay, something I'm out there. Yeah. You okay? Yeah. No, you, you were cutting out there for a second. Okay, that's fine. There. We'll just power um, through that. I was going to say, so do you, do you believe that it has to be historical in order for it to be scripture? Or do you believe, because there's kind of a growing body of people within the church nowadays who does not believe it's historical, but they still believe it's divinely inspired. They still believe that by reading it and applying it, it brings them closer to Jesus. And they believe that it is a companion to the Bible. So for all those reasons and more, they feel the spirit while they read it. it. It does function as scripture in their life, even though they don't view it as historical. Could you see yourself embracing that, uh, that kind of view or no? Uh, well, Why? I, mean, I can see myself, look, Lynn Reidenhauer, he's a charismatic Southern Baptist based in Missouri, and he uh, preaches from the Book of Mormon. It functions as scripture to him. Uh, okay. So, and there's a way that, um, you know, you can engage the Book of Mormon and find a lot of good, solid doctrine in there. So it, it, it's not something I would be opposed to. I just, I just, um, I just look at it this way. This is your scripture. And my engagement of it is, uh, I, I appreciate a lot of it because if it does draw you closer to Christ, and there is a lot of Christ, high Christology in the Book of Mormon, uh, Jesus really saturates the pages of the Book of Mormon. Um, yeah. I've encountered these people who are just Book of Mormon believers only, and I can tell you that they seem to have, uh, the, I mean, I look at them as they're, 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 they, they are strong Christians, and they have a very strong Christian walk, and, and the, yeah. the Book of Mormon informs that. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and then uh, and on October 2nd, I'm going to be in Independence, Missouri, and I'm going to be addressing a Book of Mormon rally. I've been invited to attend this Book of Mormon rally and speak to it. So, oh, cool. uh, yeah, so I'm not afraid of it. I just don't know how I would engage it as scripture in the same sense yeah. of the Bible. But, you know, this is the thing. You can look at the Bible and see that there are stories in there that are not historical as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so uh, that doesn't change the fact that it is scripture. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, how, how much time would you say you spent reading the Book of Mormon and like studying about it and stuff? Just curious. You know, I've, I've, I've never really sat down and read the Book of Mormon from cover to cover. I've, yeah. I've read a little bit here, chapter here. I would, uh, you know, I actually engaged the text very much through my friend's uh, Pentecostal book, where okay. he goes through and does a whole textual analysis. So I That's kind cool. of engaged the entire text through his lens, if you will. Right, right. Uh, so I have engaged the, the Book of Mormon. So I have studied it. Um, and uh, yeah, but I, I, I haven't read it cover to cover. Right. Yeah. And I totally respect people who who do read it from cover to cover and think it's a bunch of hogwash, you know. Um, but for, for me personally, I've, I've spent so much time in it. And I feel like there's just so many, so many amazing things in there that to me, um, 
even though I'm open to the idea of it not being historical, even though I still I still believe that it possibly is historical. For me, I'm not sure if I'm ever going to um, uh, change my belief that it was inspired by God um, because I just feel like it's just has so much complex, beautiful, powerful stuff in there. Well, I know we've gone on for a little while. Can I just end with a, a few concluding questions? Sure. So, um, what, where where do you uh, you said that you've uh, you've kind of gone through an evolution of of your faith journey? Um, where where has that led you? Like, have you always been a you know believer in like the inerrancy of the Bible, or you know where are you on all that? Where are you on you know the resurrection of Jesus? Like, where where is your faith taking you? Where have the the ebbs and flows been? Yeah, so I, I, I basically just kind of washed my hands of evangelicalism um, a while ago, and I um, just got so sick and tired of the nonsense, you know, even back then. And so I kind of just took a separate journey. I was raised in a very conservative, um, almost kind of fundamentalist, when you say, because we took the Bible very, very literally. And we were taught essentially young earth creationism. Uh, okay. So we weren't really taught real science, you know, as understood in a modern context. And so I kind of felt a little upset that I kind of felt like a lot was taken away from me, that I was not engaged in the, um, the reality of science and because I attended Christian schools. So I had to educate myself about evolution um, and just science in general, how it actually works. Uh, the caricature of evolution that was taught to me by Ken Ham and Kent Hoven is not yeah. an accurate one. And it's yeah. very intellectually dishonest the way they do it. It's propaganda what they're doing to these children. And so yeah. um, I had to teach myself science and, and, and really delve into it. Well, then, of course, I started embracing, uh, not embracing, but engaging atheism. I read all the major works by the atheists, you know, like the Christopher Hitchens and Samuel Harris and uh, yeah. Daniel Dennett and, you know, everybody. I read all their stuff. So oh, wow. I know atheism. I, you know, it was like it was that never was not that was something I never really even considered. I thought, oh, that's just ridiculous that they're not believing God. Well, then when you engage yeah. the atheists, you realize, oh, they know the, be the Bible better than most Christians do. Yeah, yeah. And so I, that really woke me up and I thought, okay, I got to engage these guys because you know what? I mean, if, if we're talking about the truth, folks, then you got to, you got to, if you really, really want the truth, then you got to have to really engage everything yeah. and not just, yeah. you know, put yourself in this, these little bubbles that we're in. So I would say that I developed a kind of more naturalistic worldview. I understand the science and everything like that. And yeah. uh, I recognize that, you know, the, the scripture, as we understand it, the, the model that it presents is not necessarily an accurate one when it comes to, uh, you know, the origin of life, yeah. and earth and stuff like that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I, I would say for the longest time, I would have considered myself culturally Christian um, agnostic. Yeah, yeah. I would have even maybe even I actually went through a hardcore atheist phase as a matter. Oh, you did. Yeah. OK, so. Um, but now my mom, she kept on saying I was going through this journey. We believe in a concept called eternal security, which means once saved, always saved. Mm -hmm. And uh, my mom says, I know, I don't know what you, I, I, I know, I don't like what you're doing here, Steve. I don't like the journey you're taking, but I believe that you're saved and you're going to go to heaven. Um, yeah. And uh, that was a comfort to her. And so I thought, well, at least yeah. she has that. I thought, yeah. okay, at least she thinks that, and that would, that, that, that makes it easier for her to have to deal with, you know, because I feel bad for people who think you can, if you, if you just look at somebody the wrong way, you just lost your salvation yeah. type kind of works. Uh, well, situation. Sounds like you have a close relationship with your mom. I've heard you yeah. reference her multiple times. That's right. Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. And, and so um, I found my way back in with a much, very much more nuanced view of scripture and the world. Um, yeah. But, you know, ever since I was a very young age, I had many people prophesy over me. 
Many, mm. you know, for me, sometimes I would just attend the church service and the pastor would see me and call me out and prophesy over me. Wow. Uh, that was just normal to me. Um, so cool. the people have told me throughout the years that they know that the hand of the Lord is guiding me. Well, then now Mormons are telling me that. Yeah. And uh, that's, cool. that's that I don't know about the theology. The old Calvinist to me would be going crazy, but that's fine. <laughs> but but I thought, OK, I feel like I'm the Holy Spirit just went to me and said, Steve, just just follow my lead don't get in the way. I'm going to yeah. use you. And I thought, okay, I'll just do that. I honestly didn't see this little book review channel to become what it has become because it does. It's, it's a scholarly intellectual channel, but I also say, you know what, if the spirit wants to enter into the picture, please. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm curious, what, what made you choose to re-enter into uh, Christianity, albeit through your more nuanced view? Um, because uh, my heart broke, my heart broke for my people. When I saw once COVID-19 was just starting to happen and I'm hearing all this weird stuff that people are talking about, like what's going on here? Like this, this, this QAnon and weird things. Okay. And it really struck me. And then, but what really hit me was the fear. Everybody yeah. was afraid. Yeah. Well, the Bible tells us that his followers will have a peace that surpasses all understanding. Right, right. And I'm sitting here as a de facto agnostic, hearing all this fear everywhere. And I'm thinking, why am I at peace? Yeah. Why do I have a peace that surpasses all understanding and they don't? And so my heart really just melted for them. And I thought, I got to re-engage my people. Yeah. And show them, listen, it's not about fear. You know, God told me, he said, uh, where there's fear, I'm not there. Yeah. And so the Lord just lays these things on my heart. And the, and the Holy Spirit just, you know, will tell me things about uh, just just have just starting to have that conversation again with the spirit that I once used to have all the yeah. time when I was younger. And it's re-entered back into the picture. And it's just kind of I don't know where this thing's going, but I'm just very That's grateful cool. that um, I'm being re-engaged with the spirit. That's awesome. Well, it sounds like God called both you and I around the same time to use the uh, talent that he's given us of bridge building to, to show to show our fellow people how to how to build bridges uh, so we can knock down some of those walls of fear huh sounds like you know and this is the thing is like it, it's good to have the uncomfortable conversations it is yeah. you know like scholars and stuff most of them they don't want to have anything to do with the supernatural and that's fine but mm -hmm. i like to be able to do the scholar stuff do the intellectual stuff but also say and by the way the holy spirit told me this yesterday yeah you know uh or i feel really impressed that the lord has wants me to do this and have that ability to also have that conversation as well, where we could talk about the historicity of the Book of Mormon, but then we can just talk about the sweet, sweet love and tenderness of Jesus. Yeah, we could be disciple scholars, as they call it, right? Yeah. Well, I'm curious. So, what what is the mission of your YouTube channel that you started? If you were to if you were to sum it up. Well, that's what I in the very beginning I said no agenda, it's open ended. Okay. It's it, it's it's uh, it, in other words, the planner, the type A personality that I used to be right, right. would have had it, everything planned out of what I'm supposed to do. Uh, but the, the spirit told me, so just 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 get in front of that camera, Steve, and start talking. And don't worry about how perfect it goes or not how it doesn't go. I'll just I'll just use you in any way that you uh, uh, I allow the Holy Spirit to use. Me. You know, and this is yeah. the, just a perfect example. Um, my very first video I did was uh, the book review of the Pentecostal books uh, book. Okay. Yeah. And I remember watching that video and thinking, and that's first two or three minutes there. That's just, I talked too much. I really should have gotten to the book and everything like that. And so in my mind, I was like, yeah, I got to, 
you know, maybe just get right to the book review and not talk so much at the beginning. Well, you contact me and you go to your group and, say, and you say to your group, you guys got to watch the first two or three minutes of that yeah, video. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so to me, that's the example of even when I don't even think in my mind that it was yeah. the right thing. That was the those words I said were the exact words that you needed to hear. Oh, I need I needed that to gain your to have, you know, gain your for you to gain my confidence, because, you know, most people, most Mormons are kind of leery of, of evangelicals and. And you just really opened your heart and you really shared what your vision is and, and you really communicated that you really want to be a bridge builder and you're not here to tear down. And I wanted to personally thank you, Steve, for doing that because um, not, not enough people out there take an interest in Mormonism and there's not enough people that are willing to uh, show us grace and be kind to us. And, and so I appreciate you doing that. And um, I'm, I'm just curious, uh, I know you don't have a, a, you know, you're not a type A, you know, you don't have this mission statement or anything, but what are some of the outcomes that you hope will um, come from your channel or what do you think are some of the things that you're already seeing? You know, I think the thing that really, I mean, first of all, just, I'm, I'm just, I'm introducing people to each other who don't know each other because everybody yeah. in the restoration kind of is in their own little world. Exactly. And I'm just breaking down those barriers. You know, I'm yeah. talking to everybody and, uh, and, and I'm introducing people to other people that they don't, I've never heard of that group or I've never heard of that individual. I said, well, you got to meet him. You need to start talking yeah. to this person. So that is it. just an immediate, the, you know, the bridge building has been very easy um, in that regard. Um, but, you know, the, what I wasn't expecting was the amount of people who like, like when Bruce Van Orden came on my program and we started talking about his son who experienced PTSD on the, on the mission field and how that touched people. And then Nathan Smith goes to me and says, Steve, I feel like I've finally been heard. And then I have Nathan Smith on to talk about his, his, his thing. When I go on an airplane heading to Salt Lake City, Utah, and I'm like, oh, the airplane's getting full. I'm about to put, the, put my luggage up. And I'm like, oh, I can get a window seat. Oh, and then all of a sudden this girl gets in there and she gets the window seat. So we have a chair between us and me. And we, she, we just started having a conversation and within a few minutes, she asked, well, are you, L, you had, are you LDS? And I'm like, no. And I told her my story and I gave her my card. This is what I do. And she tells me this story of, she just gave, came back from uh, a city, major city in the Midwest. I'm not going to give too many details here. Um, and she just flew out from that city to our Nashville where we were doing our connecting flights. And uh, her friend was having a faith crisis in Chicago, like her best friend from Utah. And uh, she's, uh, she's, she's telling her friend, I, I don't know if I can believe anymore. I'm doing all this study. I'm reading the uh, gospel topics essays and I'm reading the CES letter and everything like that. So this girl, this woman, sorry, I don't mean to, uh, gets, she, she's a mother and uh, she's got children and she's got a very important job that she works at. Uh, she immediately drops everything she's doing and she hops on a plane for this big city in the Midwest and uh, comes to her friend's house unannounced and, uh, and, and says, I got to help you get through this thing. And that was the kind of person, she's a very type A kind of person. Well, that's the person yeah. I sat next to. I, for three and a half hours, her and I talk, and she asked me question after question about different things. And she goes to me and she says, you know what, Steve, I believe, and, and this person, just so you know, she has been in very high places with some of the top general authorities, actually, in one case, the top general authority, a oh. one on one. Wow. Um, and so, but she goes to me and she said, um, I believe God brought us together, that we were meant to be sitting next to each other on this plane flight. 
So when oh, those cool. kind of things happen, it's like, okay, Lord, I was supposed to sit in that chair. She was supposed to sit in that chair. I have her in my cell phone. We, I, we check in on each other every couple of weeks, you know, and she's really appreciative of what I'm doing. So, so little cool. things like that, I guess that's what it's supposed to be. And just by leaving yeah. it open-ended, it, it just, uh, you know, people come, I, I talk to people, they want to tell, tell me their story, even if it's just off the record, they want to have something to talk to. So I wasn't right. planning on becoming, I'm not professionally trained or anything like that, but I think yeah. the Lord's just going to use me however, I said, Lord, just use me however you want. And that's what he's doing. I love it. Well, it's such a pleasure to talk with you. This has been so fun. We've covered so much cool stuff. I look forward to future conversations and, and uh, it's just really neat to be in the same space with you. We come from different backgrounds, but we have similar, similar aims and goals. And I think we're both really doing the work of uh, helping people to uh, connect with each other, right? Meet new people and learn new things that can bless their lives. And um, it's really an exciting journey. It's really, really, really a cool journey. So I guess, uh, is there any other, uh, any other things that we wanted to mention or questions that we wanted to ask before we sign off? Well, this has been great. I've always, you know, you and I have never had the opportunity to have an in-depth conversation with each other and uh, to do it for the first time in front of our viewers, I think is awesome. So cool. Well, this has been a joint production of the Restoration Table and Mormon Book Review. And uh, we are signing off. And before we do, please make sure to like the video and subscribe to the channel. And um, I'm sure that Steve will put a link to my YouTube channel down there as well. And feel free to join our Facebook group and watch out for Steve's future videos. I, I tend to only release one every few uh, months, but you got you got you have two coming out for a week, maybe three starting mm -hmm. soon, right? Yeah, I'm um, got Sandra Tanner coming out later this week, so I'm really right, excited about wait. it. So, I and and wait. I want to thank you very much, Tony, for doing this. And and I also just wanted to say, in addition to liking and subscribing, um, I also want to say that you know one thing. Um, I am a YouTube viewer, and I rarely hit the like button, and I rarely comment. Right, but right. if you're enjoying this channel and if you're enjoying what Tony's doing, just write a comment in there saying, you know, I think you're doing a good job or we really appreciate what you're doing because just those little comments just go a long way. They do. I totally agree. Well, thanks so much, brother. God bless and uh, take care, everybody. Have a wonderful day for those of you who made it this far and we'll we'll see you next time.